Well, we're going to look again at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Now, in order to do that, I want to give you a little bit of a picture, and this text is perfect for it, of what's happening with Paul when he's writing it, when he's writing the letter to Corinth. Uh, he has an administrative assistant named Sosthenes. Do you remember Sosthenes from last week's epistle lesson? We didn't explain Sosthenes last week. Well, here's who Sosthenes is. Paul is a sort of, he's kind of like me in a lot of ways. Well, I don't know if I want to draw that illusion too closely. Here's one thing about me that we share in common. I am a pacer. I, you know, I do my best thinking doing this, right? And Paul was like that. He's the sort of guy that's like, all right, Sosthenes, tell him this and, and, and tell him that. And tell him that other thing. And Sosthenes is right and just as fast as he can go, right? And do you get a sense of that from this text? It's kind of disjointed, you know, and you, you're hard to follow. Well, that's why. It's because he's dictating to Sosthenes a letter to his beloved church. Uh, it's not his church, Jesus' church at Corinth that he helped to found. And he's frustrated. Part of the reason he's so energized is that he's frustrated that the beautiful liberating good news of Jesus Christ that he had first preached to the Corinthian church has been diluted of its power by divisions in the church now I want to assure you all before I say anything else this morning I do not think there are major divisions in this church if I ever think there are, we will come back to this text. You'll hear it again. You'll recognize it when you see it, and you'll know what's coming. Uh, that's not my purpose for today. I'm not going to be browbeating you all about divisions that I think are in this church. I don't think there are a lot, frankly, right now. We are uh, uniquely uh, united right now in our spiritual lives. But I do think there's great power in overhearing this conversation between Paul and the church at Corinth. We can learn things from listening in when we're not in crisis ourselves about an issue that maybe we can't learn when we are in crisis. Does that make sense? So I want you to think of yourselves as watching a movie about a church that's in crisis, but you're, you're sitting a little bit removed from it. You know, you don't have to take it all so much to heart because you know it's going to come out all right in the end. Okay? Is that a, is that a bargain? All right. So since Paul has been to Corinth, other Christian leaders, other preachers, evangelists have followed him. Apollos apparently was a very eloquent speaker. He was the sort of guy that came from the seminary to deliver you a polished theological argument. And a lot of people loved that. They really responded to that. And Cephas, we otherwise know him as Peter, had come after that, and Peter was rough and tumble. Peter was a fisherman. I love Reverend Pat Farnham, who's a part of this church. She's one of our uh, volunteer clergy here, and she's an old sailor, and she warned me when I first sat down with her. She said, now, Harry, please pardon me if I forget who I am sometimes, the reverend part, and I go back to the sailor part. <laughs> My language can get a little salty. And Peter was that kind of preacher. He was the down-to-earth guy that really made it plain, right? And so they were different from each other. And apparently, factions, camps, had begun to develop uh, based around 
the people's connection to the ministers that they liked the best, the preachers they liked. Some folks were nostalgic for Paul's approach. Some had resonated more with Apollos and his polished language. And others thought Peter really got to the heart of things. People spent a lot of time talking about what they liked and didn't like about their favorite evangelists. And they got so fixated on those conversations that they forgot to talk about Jesus and what Jesus had done for them on the cross. Oh, now some of them talked about Jesus. But even when they did, they made him sound like the head of a faction rather than the unitive spirit that brought us all together. And that was not a good thing. Finally, things began to unravel completely. And as they did, folks divided themselves into groups according to which preacher had baptized them. It broke Paul's heart to hear baptism, this beautiful thing that we accomplished together today, could only be accomplished together in community. Couldn't just be done between me and Anna. Wasn't ours just to do. Had to have you, had to have God. Paul was brokenhearted that baptism had been used to divide the church. He's so upset about it, he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody in Corinth. Well, I did do that one, and well, and that other one, and oh, well, yeah, that other one too. I, but, I, but that was all. And finally, he gets over his little fit of frustration, and he gets down to his point. Paul says that without the cross, without Jesus having died on the cross, there's no point to the rite of baptism. Without Christ having given everything for us, baptism is just another cleansing ritual. And cleansing rituals are good things in and of themselves, but they only last, the efficacy of them only lasts as long as it takes us to get dirty again. And that's not what we did this morning. The power of what happened here this morning is eternal. Without Christ having given everything for us, it would mean nothing. But when we baptized Anna this morning, we did a remarkable thing. We did not save her soul. Jesus had already done that on the cross. What we did this morning was to affirm our assurance of that. And what we did also was to consecrate her as a member of this body of Christ. Not just Resurrection Church, but the body of Christ universal. That's remarkable. We can never see Anna again as anything other than a part of us. Our connection to her is organic. We would no more harm or shame or hurt her than we would cause harm to our own body. She is part of us. She belongs to us. We belong to her. And we all belong to Jesus. There are those who would divide the body of Christ over the sacraments. Do you believe it? Has that happened at your house? There are those who would divide the body of Christ over sacraments. It happens all the time. 
Some of you were baptized by immersion. My beloved husband, Mike, was held by the nose and dunked under the water, brought back up as a sign that he had died to a disconnection from God and been raised with Jesus from the grave into glorious connection, eternal connection with God. And that was powerful stuff. Others of you were, like my daddy, uh, baptized by a minister who'd take a pitcher like the one that I used this morning and water was poured over your head. That's what they did in the Lutheran church in New Orleans where my daddy was baptized. Some of you had a little spritz <laughs> sprinkled on your head. All of you who have been baptized were baptized in ways that were hopefully reminders of that powerful new life that is ours with Jesus and available to everyone. But even if you are one who has not been baptized, let me say this. You know what it's like to have Holy Spirit come in and fill you and talk to you and call out of you your best self, your highest and best. You too have been baptized. You too have been baptized when you have had that experience of the living Christ in your life. Now, wouldn't it have been a shame if we had the ushers instructed this morning to have divided you all up? All you immersion folks, you all have to sit, sit under the wings. This, <laughs> over here, over here. And you poured people, oh Lord, you poured people over here in the other wing. And all you sprinkled folks, you're going to be the great unwashed, well, you're a little washed in the, in the middle out here in the nave. Wouldn't that have been silly? And wouldn't it have been hurtful and disconcerting and discordant? Why would we do such a thing? If we had done that, we would have missed out on the connection that we have felt today. Have we not had church up in here this morning? Amen. We have had church up in here. We had it before even the choir sang. Now, you know, for me, I, I can't have church till the sanctuary choir or gospel ensemble or whoever's the singer for the day. I, I got to have that before I can have church. No, this morning we had had church in baptism. The Spirit connected us together in that moment as we committed ourselves to Anna. She committed herself to God and to us. Amen. We had church. If anyone tries to tell you that there is a right or wrong way to celebrate the gifts of God in your life, I hope that you will remember this little passage from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Recognize the unholy spirit of division in that person and pray that it will be removed from them. But don't let them shake your faith in what binds us together and makes us one. That is God's winsome, lovely Holy Spirit. 
And it brings us together because she's calling us, Holy Spirit, she's calling us to the reign of God. In Matthew's gospel, (laughs) Jesus speaks of the reign of God as if it's already present in the world. Now, I I scared Reverend Michael at 9 (laughs) o'clock. I'd been slinging water all morning, and I had my my water bottle with me, and I walked over toward him. I think he thought he was going to get baptized this morning. (laughs) I'm using him as a prop. Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples and to the people that are overhearing him, why are you going to be our crowd that's overhearing the conversation? He talks to the disciples as if the kingdom, the reign of God, that kingdom language, we've got to get out of our mouths. You can tell I'm still learning. That's old patriarchal language. The reign of God is as close as Michael is to me, as Jesus is to the people who are his followers. Now that is a concept that will change your life. If heaven is really this close, that'll that'll change your life. How would you act differently if you believed that heaven can really be achieved in the here and now. I want to ask you to spend a minute or two with me imagining heaven. What's it like? What's there? What's not there? How do people treat you in heaven? And how do you treat other people? It's a beautiful vision. The one you came up with is better than the one I would have shared. Do you get the power of that? As your senior pastor, I need all of you dreaming about heaven. Don't wait on me to tell you what heaven is like. The word from Jesus this morning is that that heaven that you just dreamed of, you don't have to die to experience it. It can happen right now. (laughs) In a world that teaches survival of the fittest, we find greater fitness in service in this community. And a little little slice of heaven falls down. When the powerful take advantage of the powerless, we lobby and we demonstrate and we educate. And heaven grows around us. When illness and poverty and addiction debilitate, in this community we care and advocate and rehabilitate. And how often have we found at the bedside of our sisters and brothers, in the hospital rooms, at the home after the death, a slice of heaven. Confidence 
that we can face whatever is before us because God goes with it through, through it with us. That's heaven on earth. That's the way I want to live. When I don't do the right thing, it's usually because I've forgotten that I can live that way. I talked this week with a young man who was raised in this church. Raised in this church. And he is a fine Christian young man of whom I hope you are proud. I'm not going to name him because, oh, to name him would embarrass the death out of him. But he is a fine Christian man. And I asked him, what do you like about your church? And he had a long list. He loved the diversity of this congregation. He loved the justice orientation. Uh, he loved the worship. And he loved, he could name the people in our children's program and youth program that had impacted his life. There was a lot that he loved about this church. But then, in fairness, I asked him what he didn't like. He wasn't in a hurry to answer the question, as he had been in a hurry to say what he liked. But he did have an immediate answer. He said, well... I don't like it when people talk about each other behind their backs and cut each other down. I thought I'd share that with you as quietly and as pastorally as I can. <laughs> Tiptoeing, that's what I'm doing up here. In case you want to think about how you can make this world a little more heavenly for him. Because isn't that our responsibility? In ways great and small, the body of Christ is divided. Jesus' daily task is to mend those divisions together and thus to bring in the here and now the reign of God. He tells us he needs our help. Will you help him? Will you help him?